This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So I have spent most of my ordained life as a chaplain in academic settings, working with adolescents and young adults. One characteristic that this demographic tends to share is that they love to challenge authority. The transition from childhood to adulthood is, in fact, largely defined by the rebellion against authority as young people seek to differentiate themselves from their parents, their peers, their teachers, and the many institutional and cultural voices that seek to tell them what to do with their lives. Good luck trying to tell a teenager what to wear to school or to communicate better with mom or dad or to abide by a curfew on Saturday night, or to come to church with the family on Sunday. Similarly, when 18-year-olds first go off to college, the freedom they experience on campus is exhilarating for most of them, as they no longer are under their parents' thumbs and can choose for themselves how late they stay up, whether or when they study, how much they party, who they hang out with, and so on. Most of us during this time of life are hardwired to resist being told what to do, to question those who hold power, to assert ourselves as we begin to explore what it means to have agency in the world, to claim the freedom God has given us as autonomous creatures. And this is all as it should be, and is a normal part of the developmental process of growing up into mature adults. When I arrived at Harvard University in the fall of 2012 to begin my tenure as the Episcopal chaplain there, I discovered that Harvard had its own distinctive way of helping young people claim their moral freedom and autonomy. As part of the university's freshman orientation program, the one text that all arriving students had to read was Ralph Waldo Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance. 
It was for generations of Harvard students until very recently a rite of passage for everyone who matriculates there. So if you're not familiar with Emerson's essay, it is a celebration of individual autonomy and freedom of the will. Nothing is sacred, Emerson writes in his essay, but the integrity of the human mind. Consequently, he argues, our only reliable guide is individual conscience and intuition. Trust thyself is the mantra Emerson speaks throughout his essay, for social pressures and conventions will inevitably seek to control and distort one's natural moral compass. Deeply suspicious of all forms of social and political life, Emerson extols instead the virtues of solitude, nature, the interior life, and as the essay's title underscores, complete self-reliance. We would all be much better off, Emerson argues, if men and women returned to relying solely on their own minds, rather than quoting ancient sage and saints and deferring to institutions, traditions, and customs. You can see why college students would gobble Emerson up, as his celebration of human selfhood essentially gives young people license to distrust all forms of authority and to instead be their own guides. Now, there is much in Emerson that I admire, and his essay on self-reliance is certainly a provocative piece that no doubt deserves to be part of a literate person's education. And to be sure, each of us needs to cultivate our reasoning capacities so as to make thoughtful, critical, and independent decisions. But that said, Emerson's extreme emphasis on individualism and pure self-determination misses something essential about who we are as human beings and more importantly, whose we are. The Christian faith offers another view of human flourishing. Our faith rests squarely on the conviction that we are created by God for relationship, not for solitude, for life in community, not for life in self-reliant isolation, and for obedience to God's loving purposes for his world, not just rebelliously committed to the authority of our own conscience. From beginning to end, the biblical story focuses on God's design for forming a faithful people, a covenant community, not merely a collection of individual selves protecting their own perceived rights and pursuing their own self-centered agendas. I mean, just think about the biblical story. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve to be in relationship with one another, and with the natural world. Soon thereafter, God covenants with Abraham and Sarah to bring forth a family, a chosen people, a people who forever thereafter define themselves in terms of their connection to God and to his promises for their future. And then God covenants with Moses to liberate the same people 
from all that enslaves them and leads this people out of the wilderness into a promised land, giving them a set of laws, the Torah, to bind them together in right relationship. And notwithstanding the Israelites' lapses into idolatry, forgetfulness, and faithlessness, God keeps sending to his people prophetic voices to invite his people back into covenantal relationship. And then ultimately, of course, God sends his only son into the world to be for us the living embodiment of right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. And it's not just that Jesus is a moral exemplar for us to follow in our individual lives. Rather, at the foundation of Jesus' ministry is the calling together of a group of disciples, a church, who together, in Paul's memorable phrase from our epistle lesson today, become the body of Christ. We are Christ in community not alone in our heads as Emerson would have it. And our mission as the body of Christ is to do his work in the world, not just walking in the woods alone on our own. Speaking for myself, I long ago realized that complete self-reliance is a dangerous myth. That trying to live apart from a community of faith is isolating and lonely, that I am prone to lose my way when I'm left just to my own devices, that I need God just as I need all of you, and that the person of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ's gathered people gives me the most trustworthy reliance and guidance I have ever we are so obsessed in this country with individual rights, individual freedoms, and individual fulfillment that we miss noticing just how radically communitarian the Christian vision of humanity is. Our South African brothers and sisters have powerfully captured this truth about Christian life in a concept that the late Desmond Tutu frequently used. It's the concept of Ubuntu. Ubuntu means that I cannot be fully who God intends me to be if I don't fully recognize and embrace who you are. To quote Desmond Tutu, a person is a person through other persons. And the first law of our being is that we are set in a delicate network of interdependence with our fellow human beings. And perhaps most importantly, people with Ubuntu know that they are diminished when others are diminished, that they are diminished when others are oppressed, that they are diminished when others are humiliated, that they are diminished when others are treated as if they are less than who they are. Now the one other thing that we know about God from our Bible is that his work of salvation is community work. It's not individual work. It is a kingdom God is building, a communion of saints, a new social order, a new creation. 
Unfortunately, in many Christian circles, salvation is too often talked about in individual terms, as if what ultimately should matter most is whether I get to heaven, whether my soul is saved. But this is entirely unbiblical. God created us not simply for ourselves, not simply so that we can be in relationship with him, but so that through us, us as a community, being his image bearer, we can bring about the wise, glad, fruitful order that God desires for his entire creation. This is community work. God seeks to redeem the entire cosmos, not just individual souls. So the bottom line, my friends, is this. With respect to Emerson, and he's a great figure in American letters, self-reliance and private spirituality is not really a sustainable option. God created us to be together, to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. Christian community may not always be easy. It may not always be pretty. It may not always be what we wish it to be, but it is always holy. And at the end of the day, it is the only place where we find our truest and deepest selves. Whether we like it or not, we are called to be together, to be Christ's body in the world. And one of the most beautiful expressions of this truth is a very simple prayer that St. Teresa of Avila once prayed. And it goes like this, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he now looks with compassion on this world. Let it be so with us here at Holy Trinity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.